And today I retire from pro football. Probably when I retire, when that eventually happens one day, I'll be able to sit back and say, you know what? Pretty proud. What can I say? Mamba out. And that is going to be it for Derek Jeter. The What's Next Podcast, where every hour is happy hour. Welcome to the What's Next Podcast. Whether you're about to tee off on the golf course, sitting on the beach, or napping on the couch, anywhere but the office, this podcast is for you. If you're still working, turn this podcast off right away. Unless, of course, you're pondering retirement or a sabbatical. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And today, we, uh, for our topic, we have another good one. So, art is a hobby. Not a hobby that I do but a hobby that a lot of people do, and I think a lot of people as they get into retirement ages want to either get into it for the first time or expand what they're doing. Express their creativity. There, you got it, you got it. And we have what, who I used to call Dr. Bodner. Uh, now I think I'm allowed to call you Gary, am I allowed to call Absolutely. you Gary? So now I can call him Gary, but um, so, so Gary Bodner, uh, for those who don't know, was, um, I will call him a famous gynecologist in the Atlanta area. His patients loved him like I've never seen. Um, he's patting me in the back laughing right now, but that is a true statement. He delivered my second child, just my second child, uh, Colin, and um, he's just an all-around great guy. I always, uh, I, I just, when we saw him as patients, just was always enjoyable and really loved being around him. And now, since then, um, we, not only myself and my wife, but Jason and your experience with your wife, who happens to be an artist, have developed a great relationship with him. So, but before we get into the Gary Bodner story, what time is it, Jason? It's happy hour, because every hour is happy hour. So today, we are drinking an interesting one. It's actually called Kentucky Smash, and... Uh, it was recommended to us by a guy named Barry Ridholtz. He is a avid listener of our podcast and also was a guy in my fraternity who was a few years older than me and reached out to me out of nowhere and said, hey, Ken, I, I like your podcast. And we've kind of talked back and forth. And uh, he suggested it. And what makes it unique that he suggested it is I'm from a town on Long Island called Manhasset. And there is a very famous bar pub there called Publicans. And um, this apparently was a big drink there, according to Barry. He lived on a different town in Long Island. And he told me that was their, their signature drink there, which I had no idea about. But this, this pub has become very famous lately because George Clooney bought the rights of a book called Tender Bar that was written about that pub. It was a New York Times bestseller. Um, it's actually a great book, um, but Clooney bought the rights. He made a movie. It was, a, it was released on Netflix uh, about a year or two ago. Ben Affleck was starred in it and everything else. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but the movie sucked. <laughs> Read the book if you're interested. Read the book, have the cocktail. Have the cocktail, <laughs> so we'll, we'll review it later. But it's called Kentucky Smash. So Let's uh, hope it lives up to its name. There you go. All right, Gary, so you're on the firing line now. Um, so, I guess to start off with a, 
With, I'm going to give you a softball question. Ready? Okay, I'm ready. What are the similarities between being a gynecologist and an artist? The one striking <laughs> similarity is, again, I'm dealing with 100% women. Really? There you go. Most people who take my workshops or take my class are all women. Rarely, rarely is a man taking the class. And I feel... This is just an aside that there's got to be some fabulous men artists that have never picked up a brush. They're waiting. Right. They're waiting. They're waiting to be to, discovered. Yes. So how did this could be you, Ken? This could be me. This could be me. So how did you get into it? Like, let's start from there. Okay. You know, yeah. what was your initial? Well, there must have been thousands of role models who made the same change yeah. as you did, right? You just followed in their footsteps. Exactly. Um, well, this is what it was. This goes back to, my, I have two children and my son, who, my youngest, was really in high school, junior high, acting out really bad. Okay. And I actually, it was really affecting me so much because I'm such a control freak, I couldn't help him. So I went to a psychiatrist and a psychiatrist told me to get a hobby. And I've always liked art. I collect a lot of art. And I took this class, and I'm sure there's a Chinese proverb for this, <laughs> yeah. but I was lucky enough to get a teacher who pulled me aside the first day and said, you got it. Wow. Huh. You got to paint. That's pretty and, cool. And from there, I, I paint every day. Interestingly, I actually painted more when I was working than when I wasn't working. Huh. Just to unwind? Relax, I don't know. Just... I don't know. I guess I had a lot to prove back then. I've been painting now 20 years, but I don't put out as many paintings as I did when I first retired. When I first started painting and I was working a 60-hour-a-week job. How much overlap was there between continuing to be a doctor and when you kind of started the painting well, before you retired? From... Well, every day when I was working, when I'd come home, if I wasn't on call, I would paint. I would have dinner, I'd watch sports on TV, and I'd paint. Got it. And that's what I did every day. And I tell people this all the time. The more you paint, the better you get. Like everything else, right? For the most part. It's so true. It's so true. So that's my, that's my story. And from a retirement perspective, yeah. was your strategy or your thought process going into retirement, did you know that you were going to go into it and start, you mentioned that you're a teacher also. Was your thought process to expand what you're doing and get bigger into it? No, no. I, I At that time, I didn't think so. And I was lucky enough to be in a position to retire. And I wasn't just in obstetrics and gynecology. I did a lot of high-risk OB. Okay. So that was very stressful. So... Um, this was a good outlet for me, but and I was lucky enough, I knew I was going to take a cut in salary that I planned enough that I wouldn't be too, you know, it wouldn't impact my family that much. So you're not the starving artist, no, you're the well-fed artist. I'm not the rich artist either. <laughs> you know, you, you can't paint enough paintings compared to the salary that I was making. That's how I did it. Huh. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because I've always, I try to tell my wife who takes classes with you, Gary, as you know, 
that you have to suffer as an artist, but apparently you don't have to yeah. suffer. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe I'd be a better painter if I suffered a little. But you just cut off one of your ears, right? Yeah, that's yeah. The, there you go. Just an aside, his wife, your wife is one of the best artists I've been with. No, she is good. something else. It's amazing. It's it amazing. Really is. It really is. It's and something. she didn't have someone... Her first classes, and she didn't have someone who identified. Yeah. But you know, a she while. took a workshop from me yes. fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago, was I that bet it was. Ago? I bet it. She'll wow. know, but I bet it was fifteen years ago. So, so tell me though that the I'm interested in the the teaching. So you were you were painting while you were yeah. still working. Did you start to teach? Like, when did you start to teach? Work? Like, how did you get into the teaching side? Well, there was an artist friend of mine that I painted with in this class the first class i took and she went into the business side of art and she says you know i think you would be a good teacher okay. and she she worked a, a workshop for me and she advertised and we had 30 people you know people <laughs> who were hungry to paint and i had to come up with a little thing and that's how i started just by chance a lot of this my career in art has been i've been very lucky Things have fallen my way. Some people say you make your own luck. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I like to use the word fortunate over lucky. Yeah. Like the woman who first took me into her gallery in Atlanta and I told her to come over and look at my art. Now they're hounded all these times, these owners of galleries. I delivered her baby. Ah, uh, there you so go. So she couldn't say no to me. There you go. So, so how often does that happen? Like how many people who were your patients before are either taking your classes or have bought your art? It's not that infrequent. A lot of people have done that. But, um, you know, it's just, it's, I had an immediate name recognition in Sandy Springs. Yeah. I delivered half those kids in Sandy Springs. <laughs> Do they get a discount if they were one of your kids? No. A 20% bond? No. No discounts. So let me ask you this. So you retired from the medical profession. You had already started doing the painting. I was painting and I was in a gallery already. You are. Did you, after, so after that, it was like on Friday you stopped working and Monday it, you were a professional painter doing that? Exactly. Okay. I just stopped. Okay. Because I didn't want to do GYN and I don't know if you've interviewed many physicians in this podcast. No. But it's not uncommon that physicians, as they get older, don't handle the stress as well. Got I retired when I was 63, older than you guys, but I was the main reason I retired was the stress. I couldn't take it anymore, not so much the painting. Is there any stress in art? Yeah, yeah. It's a shorter, it's a shorter amount of stress, but it's not the same as a life and death situation. Right, yeah. No, no, I wouldn't. There's stress, you know. Because you want to produce, and these galleries call you, and they want more work, and so you know I have deadlines, and I'm this week I'm driving down to Destin to deliver paintings. So there is stress, but not like what I had. So I'm curious from, and this is probably the ugly question I shouldn't ask, but there is a business side to art, to being an artist. Yes. So I'm always curious when I walk in and I have galleries, which I do enjoy doing. How does one price their work? How do you value, put a, put a number on it? Well, first of all, most of the galleries put the price on it. Okay. So the first gallery I was with in Bucket, they set the price of my work. They knew what would sell, what would, wouldn't sell. 
And I've been experienced in my career. Sometimes you could price it too high. But once you go high, you can't, can't go, go low. Right. So it, so right now, it's been six or seven years, I have not increased my prices because they went up too high. Gotcha. And, you know, but I guess there's no way of knowing. So it's just, it's ultimately, it's just supply and demand in a way. People it's walk what, in, if they yeah. like it, they're going to buy it. Not it always, you know. There's a better price point. You know, you sell more if you're less expensive. But is there, uh, well, I'm sure there is, but how does name recognition come into it? It's big. It's real big. It's big in the Southeast because I now have a name, you know, so they'll recognize a Baden or I get a kick out of a friend of mine who I play cards with go, goes into a house and I said they saw a Bodner. <laughs> they didn't even see my name because I have a unique style, you know, so that's a, that's a very gratifying thing. But, like, I, I'm in a gallery in Dallas now. They don't know me from Adam. But over the years, they bought my stuff and, you know, more, more people recognize me. A full-time thing? Or were you just no. going to do part? Like, how did you think about it? I was very stressed out at work. Right. I was 63 years old. I was very stressed out at work. I had been doing this for 40 years. And I just... Every time I was on call, I was afraid some disaster would right. happen, and I just quit. Yeah, I mean, I discussed it with my wife, and but it just, so it just kind of built up and happened. Built up, and in, in, in a week, I decided. This wow. Okay. I'm just doing this. I'm done. I'm just doing. It. I put my time in. Let the pieces fall where they may. I had a big advantage, and anybody who retires probably knows this. You know, I my I own my house. I didn't have a mortgage. My, you know, my kids are done educated, so I was in a good position. So what does your wife think now that you're home, not all the time, but, but you used to ne rare, probably be home very little. Yeah. Now you're home probably all the time. Or do you paint somewhere else? No, no. I paint in my house. My studio's in my house. My wife struggles with me being home a lot. Yeah. If you, if you guys don't know this, they all do. Well... So the last podcast, <laughs> we had our, our last we had a season, wives episode, and it was a spouse's perspective, and absolutely they struggle with it. It's uh, I remember my wife saying when I was going to retire, "I'm not making you lunch every day, <laughs> so go find something to do." And then I got another thing that I've done, which takes up more time than my painting. What's that? I play bridge. Bridge. That is the most fabulous thing. That's my mom's game. Yeah, I love it. And she plays I'm not, a couple times a week. And I, pay, I play four times a week. Do you really? And right. I'm not a card person. I'm someone who's very analytical, but I don't have a great memory. So those two things are very useful in bridge. But I didn't have that, but I've developed it. I would tell anybody to take up bridge. You can play it on so many levels. Really? Your mom okay. plays? Oh, like serious. Yeah. She goes to tournaments all over the Southeast. Oh, really? She goes on bridge cruises. She, we probably know people. Yeah, she plays in Sandy Springs. She does at that know. big club. Yes. Yeah. So maybe a future episode is going to have to be bridge. Exactly. Because right? that's a, another good retirement It's hobby. a great thing. So I'll say this. The, one of the things that I think is really cool about art is that it's really leaving a legacy. Because one day when you're no longer here, your paintings will be hanging on the walls of different people's homes and people will get enjoyment from them. 
I mean, I have paintings here. My fam- I don't know if you know this, but my family business was art supplies up in New York. I know. We that. Sold- so we have, you know, things here that are, you know, and I've Googled the artists and these are artists that are no longer with us. Right. And they're still sitting in my house or at my parents' house. And a lot of them have stories behind them where my grandfather yeah. gave them art supplies and because ex- they didn't have any money in exchange for art or something like that. So there's always these really interesting and cool stories behind it. But the legacy you leave of what you've created from a blank canvas, to me, is really, it's, it's an incredible thing. And I think it's a super unique thing that art brings that nothing else does. Yeah. Um, indeed, especially your children. You know, my children happen to love my art. So they have a lot of my art. And when oh, I see cool. them hanging it in my, their house, you know, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's it's fabulous. It's it's a fabulous. It's a fat. It's a very difficult career, though. I don't know how people support families right. on this. Yeah, you know. So let me ask you this. So actually, I had lunch with a buddy of mine that I used to work with this week. You may have heard this from my wife or or not. He retired from SAP, big software company, a few months ago, and the number one thing he wants to to do is trying to become an artist now in his next career. I know, it's crazy. And it's a guy, so you don't, we don't see this any very often. Does he often. live in Atlanta? Yeah, he lives in, in Alpharetta. He, he, Laura was trying to get him into one of your classes, but you're too busy, you you're too popular. Come? But let me ask you this, so here's my question. For people like him who are yeah. just starting out in their retirement, they're interested in art, and yeah. how do they get started? Like, what would you tell somebody? Well, first of all, I would, it's very hard to learn how to paint from a book. Right. That's number one. I would take lessons, okay. beginner lessons, and the more you paint, the better you get. Right. There's a method, the way I teach, I don't teach and say the complement of blue is orange. I don't say that. I critique their work, and I say, well, what could be done differently? You know, and that's a very popular way to teach because nobody's intimidated and they can create. I mean, I've had people who start out and they're fabulous. So, but you need to just start painting. Just start painting. Just start painting. If it's a face, if it's a house, it's not important. Some of the best art is very childlike primitive work. Hmm. This is a great Picasso quote. Picasso said, it took me 20 years to learn how to paint like Raphael. And it's taken me 40 years to learn how to paint like a child. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. Doesn't statement. it apply yes. to his work? Yeah. His work is very childlike. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, I want to meet this guy. Okay. We'll, we'll have Laura bring him to a yeah. class. And what about from a talent perspective, like for someone getting into it or even yeah. someone that's yeah. been in it like you, what's the mix that you would say of talent versus hard work and how many hours you put in? I think the big issue is to be a really good painter is to be creative and that some people are very creative and some aren't that's a born in his wife is very creative yeah she thinks out of the box she you know uh, and i'm very creative whether you have a sense of color or not i'm not sure that's that important because a lot of masters like um matisse he had a beautiful sense of colors, but the colors he used when he started, it didn't make sense. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So it's a whole mixture of stuff. 
But it's like anything else. The more you paint, the better you get. Right. The more you play bridge, the better you get. Now, that hasn't applied to Ken's golf game because he plays a lot. It's not getting it's any not better. It's not getting any better. <laughs> but I just felt like from a talent perspective, and I think you said it, you know, creativity is the key because I know myself and really my family, as I mentioned, we were in the art supplies business and not one of us can make a stick figure. Yeah. And I think, like you said, this, we just don't have the creativity that like Jason's wife, Laura, has. We have three of hers in our house and I look at them and especially when they're in the right light and everything, yeah. I just look at them and it just, you stop and you're, you just stop and stare at it because of the way the colors come together and the, and just the concepts behind it. And I can't even relate to, again, I just see a blank canvas and my head just doesn't start to go. I, I don't think, have any of that. I think a lot of people have creativity, but they've never used it. You know, did you use it at work? Were you creative at work? Yeah, so I was you creative. Probably so creative. It, that his his partner said not so creative, <laughs> but, but no, uh, yes, on the problem creative. solving. Yes, yeah, same thing. Solving. It's problem yeah. solving. Yeah, it's really problem solving. If you saw the way I critique somebody, you'll say, "Well, it doesn't really go the colors in this woman's dress." Well, sometimes the most Harsh color combination is so striking, it compels you. It to grabs look at you. It. Yep. it compels you to look at it. Right. And I think a lot of men, for whatever reason, are afraid about the word creativity. Hmm. They're very methodical. Being methodical and being creative is not usually a, a good combination. Right. What about other things besides painting? Do you do other forms of art? Yes. I've done sculptures, um, cardboard sculptures that I laminate, and then I have an iron person who puts them on stands. Um, I've done paper pieces. I've always wanted to do pottery. But my problem is now is my age. I'm 73, and I'm not producing like I used to. You mean quantity or quality? Both. Well, no, quality it's even better, but quantity. But the more you paint, the more you get quality. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, I don't have the energy to learn new things like I used to. And how long do you think you're going to keep painting? Is this forever? This forever. will be your forever thing? Forever. Yeah. It's part of me. Right. It's, you know, it sounds so put on, but it's really part of me. I, I have to paint. It, is there a social side to it? So when people go into retirement... They, they leave their jobs, they lose a lot of the interactivity that they used yeah. to get and their socialization that they get. I, I think of an artist as someone who sits alone in a room with a canvas and paints, but it sounds like to me, especially in the classes and things, and you mentioned before there was a lady that used to paint with, it sounds like there is an interactive component to it to an extent. There is, but it, I can't paint with other people. I've tried, but I can't paint with other people. I'm too distracted. Maybe because I know these people and they always want me to critique them and what about this and what about that. But I don't really paint well with others. But it's a great social thing. Hmm. I mean, especially for these women. They love it. They love it. I mean, it's unbelievable. They, they can't wait till next week, you know. I've been so social in my work when I was an OB. I'm not as social as I used to be. 
very much isolate. I'm very much of a loner now. And the famous painters that we hear about or see their yeah. paintings in museums, they were typically loners or they I don't were? Know. I don't know. It's a good question. Well, we know Van Gogh was a loner. Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't think. Uh, Michelangelo. I think okay. he was very social. Van Gogh wasn't social. Picasso was very social in a very negative way. Very negative way. He's a destructive guy yeah. towards other artists. I don't know if you know that. I, I, yeah, I, just because we went to uh, the, his museum in Spain, I think. He tortured yeah. Modigliani. You don't do I, that to your students, I try do you? Not to, try not to. <laughs> but it is like the social aspect is an important part for people in retirement, right? Because they're so used to working with it's this group. It's fabulous, of people, yes. Right? So these classes. I think provide a real social aspect and to there's it. different economic levels right. so it's a unifying thing you know right. people who wouldn't talk to each other or wouldn't run in the same circles there's a common denominator right I have school teachers I have an heiress in right. one of my classes who's worth billions she would never talk with this retired school teacher right. but they happen to like each other it's a very unifying thing what about from a travel perspective? Jason's wife, Laura, just went on a trip to Morocco. Was that one of yours? No, I wish it was. So We went to France for one of his classes. I went. I even got to go. Yeah, he showed up. So I think that's a pretty cool, unique way to learn art, enjoy art. Is that something that you do? And is that part of your world? I don't have anybody anymore to do it. To wrangle 10 people, drag their stuff to Europe, <laughs> tell them how wonderful they are, and plan trips. I don't have that energy. But we the last thing I did was with his wife in the Loire Valley, and we stayed at a chateau. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And then when we were done with the chateau, we took a bus to Paris. You didn't... You we went to Paris before, yeah. yes. And we went to the Museum d'Orsay, and I took them around. And I love art history. So what about, take the class part out of it, just you and family or you and friends or you just generally, do you travel for art? Do you enjoy that? I don't travel for art, but it's a big thing with me. Like, I go to every museum I can. Do you? Yeah. And I get ideas, you know. Laura and I were just in Copenhagen. I heard. And it was like an art art and food weekend, right? So yeah. we ate great meals at every meal, but we went to galleries, went to the museums. Like, that was... What she wanted to do was soak in kind right, of that right. other aspect, other Absolutely. cultural. You pick art. up things, right. I learn things. You know, it's a great place to go. I don't know if you have a chance to go for business. Berlin is a fabulous I've never place. been to Berlin. A, first of all, it's a fabulous place. Right. They got museums like the likes you've never seen. And it's a fabulous city. Hmm. I've and, heard good things. And big been. modern art. Are there certain artists that have... Influenced you or that definitely for example Van Gogh He's more into he's taught me about the use of complementary colors um, uh, Matisse is my favorite You know, he's the one who who put fish in a fishbowl and half the fishes out of the bowl <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, or he'll paint a table with flowers and if you really look at it the table doesn't make sense it's, you know, it's the beauty of the table, but you wonder how it even stands up. And that fragility, I think, adds to his painting. And as an artist, you think the artist thinks that through? So they're, 
Their creativity is. I th- I don't know if they think it through. It's just. It's just all about being creative. So it's what comes out of there. Everybody head. is painting a bowl of flowers on a table, but how can you make it different? You know, that's what I really tell people in my class. We know it's been done. Let's see what you can do. Interesting. You know, it's funny because I get to watch my wife paint, but it's interesting to hear another perspective on it. Uh, so. And she paints different than I do. Right. She, first of all, she's a wealth of information with all the equipment and... <laughs> Stuff that she uses. She's that he sees the credit card She's bills. a wealth of She threatens me with that blowtorch all the time. If I act out, I'm in big she trouble. She is fearless. <laughs> as long as we don't burn down the house, it's all good. Yeah, it's all good. exactly. Well, I'm going to get my, uh, what do they call it, the French beret, whatever. And Maybe you paint should with? paint. I'm going to tell you a great story about a family in the art business. So you may know the family. Yeah. You want to hear it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. There's an art supply in Greenwich. Okay. Greenwich Village. Connecticut? No. no. New York. Village. Oh, New York. The Village. Village. Okay. And this guy was there around 1940s, 1950s. Okay, you know Rothko. Do you know what his work is? Do you know he does these big rectangles? Okay. It's simple. People say, what's the big deal? But those rectangles, there's 40 layers to this. Right. Okay, and then Jackson Pollock, yeah, same Jackson. guy, right. same time. So those painters all painted together. Okay, and this art supply guy in the village, he had such a good eye. He knew they couldn't afford their materials, and he would give them materials for their paintings. So can you imagine now 1982, and he says, oh, by the way, I have 20 Rothkos, and I have Jackson, 20 Pollocks, and I was, I mean, could you imagine? He goes on, I've seen him interviewed, he's probably long gone. He goes and tells everybody, I loved all these painters, but the one I didn't like, I had about seven of them, and Rothko, and I throw them away. Oh, jeez. That's so funny. I mean, he had so much more. I wonder if what was his name? Fa- I don't know. You, f- how many art supply teachers could there have been? Was your family in the business in the forties and fifties? Nineteen twenty nine. They would know this guy, and they were. It's called A.I. Friedman. They would know this guy, and uh, it may have been your father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't my father. But it, so here's here's the story that I, it was a kind of a funny story with. Uh, with my dad, they had a they had a store, a frame store. Most of what they did was art supplies, but they also had a frame store right next to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in Manhattan. It was a, it was yeah. right there, and um, it was mostly framing. But for whatever reason, once in a while he would bring home art that we would store or whatever it was. And he brought home one time these two really large paintings, and they were incredibly ugly. And they hung them in our dining room, which is a room we never, you know, once Thanksgiving, that was it. And they hung there for years and never really said anything about it. I didn't really pay attention to that stuff. But one day, they were just gone. The walls were blank. So I I saw my dad over the weekend. I said, Dad, what happened to the two ugly paintings? He said, the guy died, the artist died, and the value of the thing skyrocketed. So they went and they sold them and made a ton of money. Really? Yeah, based on the fact that they died. I I will bet you your father well, I'm sure. I mean, it's a, like you said, it's a very it's a small. small. How many art supply stores were there? There's, you know, three or four major ones. 
Ask him if he knows a guy named Alex Katz. I'll ask. And what's interesting about Alex Katz is he was painting when Jackson Pollock was painting at Picasso, and he painted completely different. He painted his wife every painting. And what was interesting about they were very crisp paintings. You know, Van Gogh and all of them, they went past the line. Right. You right. Know, he went in the line. And you have seen his wife's, his, these paintings, you just don't know it. They're always his wife in a big hat with sunglasses. Okay. It's a big w- woman with the big hat and sunglasses drinking a martini. Yeah. And he was one of the people who told the story. That's how I heard the story. That's funny. Because Alex Katz came down here, he's half dead, and told the story. Interesting. Well, it's definitely a, a small world of our suppliers across the country, and we certainly knew the ones in the Northeast. And uh, even here, Binders was the Krinsky family. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, so I used to take my dad to meet Mo um, back in the day when he was around. So, okay, who are we toasting to this this time, Jason? Well, since we have the good doctor here with us, I felt like we had to toast a doctor who had retired relatively recently, and that's possibly the most famous doctor. In our country, maybe the world in the last few oh, months, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Yes. Is that... <laughs> yes. Immunologist extraordinaire. You know, there's a lot of hot topics about him. Absolutely. Uh oh. He's not loved by everybody. No, that's clear. That's oh, that clear. is clear to you. Oh, yeah. Yes. The yeah. Very mixed feelings about very the good doctor. Um, just a couple of facts about him. I think most people know he ran the, or was the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, but he did it for 38 straight years across seven different presidencies, which is pretty amazing. Um, I didn't realize, although I, I kind of remember hearing a little bit about it, but um, besides his work, obviously, most recently on the coronavirus and the, and the recent pandemic, he's widely, widely credited was saving over 20 million lives globally based on the work he did for AIDS relief and That's HIV. Fabulous. Yeah, so congratulations to him on that. And a big toast to uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Bobner, yeah. our guest today. Thanks you know, Fa- Fauci, I've heard, I don't know if it's true, is the highest paid government employee in the country. I have heard that before. I think he earned all his money those last couple oh, of years. Oh, my God. So. Could there have been a more stressful... You talk about a stressful job that you had. Can you imagine what the stress of that guy's life must have been? Oh, my God. Could you imagine the presidents he had to deal with and the disease he had to deal with? Yeah. Well, if you talk about life and death, not only did he have life and death, but he had death threats, too, to go Absolutely. with it. Right? I don't think any of your patients were threatening you. No. And he <laughs> never seemed to really get shaken. Right. He never did. Yeah. He, he never, never did. Very confident guy. Yep, absolutely. So Jason, what do you think about the Kentucky Smash? Uh, I'm almost done and ready for another one. This thing is good over here. Very refreshing. You know, it's not summertime here, but it'd be an amazing summertime drink. Tell people what's in it. How do you so, make it? So really, I mean, it's... Uh, Frozen blueberries, honey. I mashed it at the bottom of the glass, threw some ice in. We used a bourbon that we've used before here called the Fiddler, which is an Atlanta bourbon. Uh, ASW Distillery, ding, ding, ding. Little shout out to those guys. Exactly, ASW Distillery down in Midtown. Cranberry juice, and then put some more frozen blueberries on top. And that is the Kentucky Smash from Publicans. 
in Manhasset, New York. What do you think? Did you like it? I, I thought it was great. It was really uh, fun to drink. And Gary didn't drink it. Gary's not a drinker. But he did have a beer, so uh, Thank you. he stepped up his game there. We're yeah. going to have to call you an Uber to get you home. Yeah, all right. All right. Well, thank you, Gary, for joining us. Uh, just a reminder for folks, don't forget to like, share, and tell all your friends about our podcast. Give us some ideas. You have an interesting hobby or a different career story or retirement story that you want to share with us and our listeners, please let us know. Tell us about that favorite drink. Thanks again to Barry Ridholtz. Thank you, Barry. We love that one. That's an awesome, uh, awesome drink for us. So reminder, again, share, like, tell your friends. Everybody tell one friend about the podcast. And if you want to email us, you can at what's next with jnk at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers. Bye-bye.